what a harlequin is? A harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. Welcome to the DC Film Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big end of small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Squadcast. Scott, how you doing, man? We're recording on a Sunday night. Unusual. Yes, we are. Unusual. And I'm tired. <laughs> okay. And I have to go to work, and I have papers to grade. Ugh. So many things. So many things. I'll insert the violin music. And this weekend... All got started with a wonderful trip to urgent care. So you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> this weekend is done. I saw that. How, how is your son doing, by the way? He's doing fine. Okay. He woke up the next morning as if nothing had happened. Yeah, that's how they but, usually we, But, you know, we just, you know, when it, when I called my wife, I was like, we knew he'd be the first one. And it was three <laughs> stitches. And it was like, okay, you would be the one, wouldn't you? Not the oldest, but you. You. Yeah. No, I've, I'm shocked that my son is not gotten stitches yet like i i would have thought like within the first year he would have had at least two or three sets of stitches and nothing yet so it's he kind of bounces off the ground luckily so <laughs> this one didn't bounce off the shower floor so <laughs> oh well well you know he's got a story to tell now right uh oh i have a story to tell or at least oh, you yeah. do <laughs> yes exactly. oh well i've been there done that all right guys well um this is a sunday night recording for us so we're going to try to keep moving here uh we both have tight schedules uh we rem- want to remind you that we got a few other shows we'd encourage you to go listen to in our network. We have Fans Without Borders with Brent and Ray. We have DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan. We have DC TV Squadcast with Ray and whoever. Like, who's coming up with him? Uh, right now, I mean, he's doing some C- DCCW talk. I know that we're looking to scheduling a Harley Quinn catch-up show that I'm going to be on where we kind of talk about all the episodes that released over the Christmas break. Okay, nice. Okay, so we got that coming up. And then, of course, we have our a newest edition to the network. Uh, for those of you that like the Marvel Universe, we have Brent and Brock are doing Marvel Squadcast about every two to three weeks, dropping an episode. So go check out those shows. And then, of course, we want to thank everyone who is able to financially help us over at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. Remember, it is that $5 a month tier that gives you access to all of the exclusive content, which will include the latest episode of Squadcast Movies, which we'll be recording this Wednesday, yes. which will be Spider-Man 2. Looking forward to revisiting that guy. <laughs> it's it's been a long... I think I've only seen it one time. But I just remember liking it better than the first Spider-Man movie, so... See, I'm one of those weird ones, and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be on the episode, but I'm always, I'm that weird outlier who I, I always prefer the first one. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. I'll, I'll see where my... I'll see where, where my head lands, because I'm gonna go ahead and watch part of it tonight and the rest of it tomorrow. And then, of course, we also have Fans Without Borders Plus where Ray and I just review whatever. So, I we, we've had a request for Bad Boys for Life, but uh, confession time, I have to see the first two Bad Boys movies. Oh. I've never seen. I've never seen a Bad Boys movie. I think one of them is on Netflix right now. I think Bad Boys is on Netflix. Uh, well, FYI, on Voodoo, you can get uh, the first two and pre-order the newest one in 4K, all for thirty dollars. So it basically, comes down to ten dollars a movie for a 4K version. Okay, not bad, not bad. All right, yeah. So that's what we got coming up. So we encourage you to go check that out if you're a patron. If you'd like to just come in and just check it out, you know, see what the furniture looks like. You could drop in for one month, and you can 
go ahead and check out all of our content. I mean, like I said, we have around 300 pieces of content in there that we've been doing this for how many years now? A couple years? Uh, we're coming up on five. You know, so we're, we're, well, in terms of the content for Patreon. Patreon? Uh, yeah, we're three. Are we at three? Okay, it's been that long. We're getting, yeah. We're If we're not at three, we're, we're sneaking up on three. Yeah, so anyway. All right, well, Scott, let's get on with the news here. So I was trying to sort through this. Does Jim Lee have a role in DC Films right now in terms of like... Well, he is the chief creative officer, so I would say yes. But of DC Entertainment, right? Well, yeah, he's the chief creative officer of DC Entertainment, but that still makes him uh, a voice from the comic book side. And, you know, and we talked about last week with, you know, I think we can stop being coy about it at this point, because if you haven't heard about it, it's like, where have you been? But with that Ezra Miller cameo for Crisis on Infinite Earths, I mean, it was made very clear by the next day, Guggenheim saying that that was a that was definitely a, a Jim Lee uh, thing going on there because yeah. that's that's who that's whose name kept popping up in all the interviews. Yeah, I mean, because in an interview that Guggenheim did with Variety, uh, he was asked like. You know, does this mean that uh, Ezra Miller's Flash no longer exists in the DC television world? You know, talking about the events of what happened in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And he says, I will leave that question to Warner Brothers and DC. They have a wonderful vision for not just Ezra's Flash, but also the entire DC universe. Jim Lee is the man to talk to. Which, of course, that question makes no sense to me because, like, did you watch the end of the part <laughs> five when they birthed a brand new multiverse? Yeah. Just saying. They must have not have seen the end. But maybe, maybe it was just... I mean, let's face it, the writer of this probably doesn't fully understand the stuff. <laughs> doesn't understand. Do. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. But anyway, I mean, it certainly raised a question, you know, is is Jim Lee really, is is he going to be pretty heavily involved with Walter Hamada or is he already involved? And and I would think, you know, you know, Walter Hamada certainly has to have somebody pretty tightly, you know, aligned with over in DC Entertainment, you would think, right? And with Jeff Johns no longer in that role, I mean, it seems like Jim Lee most certainly must be that man. Absolutely. Well, and then I think that was what made it really interesting to me because I, re- I distinctly remember Zack Snyder tweeting out a little bit over a year ago that uh, when Jim Lee had joined Vero, he introduced him and he says he's the best. And so it really kind of made me wonder because it wasn't too long after this point in time, we started hearing some of the rumblings about some positive activity happening towards the Snyder cut of Justice League. Yes, absolutely. And even uh, Christina Hodson was commenting about, you know, what was what's been going on on behind the scenes and she said honestly a lot of it is DC itself being the ones overseeing the franchise obviously there's been a change in leadership there Walter Hamada really knows what he's doing he's so good at his job and he has a real love for these characters and for this material so it's looking to him more than anything and obviously with a lot of us we've gotten to know each other especially the writers we all have friends now which is lovely we read each other's stuff and help each other but yeah mostly it's going through Walter and DC Yeah, and I, and I really get the since that when she says DC, that translates as Jim Lee. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. So, uh, so I wanted to bring that up. I mean, I, I think you know, for all of us that have been pushing for you know Zack Snyder's uh, you know version of Justice League, you know the Snyder cut, I would say you know Jim Lee seems like he has the potential to be probably our best advocate here when it comes to people that can actually make some of these decisions. So I, I kind of feel like anything we could do to try to put positive vibes towards him, just kind of let him know very respectfully um, that you know we would 
we'd like to see Zack Snyder's true vision of this thing brought to the big screen or at least finished up enough to where we can see it and uh, you know to where we can watch it ourselves and and I just hope I hope we can maybe go that route and try to reach out to him so well you know we're two weeks away from Birds of Prey Tim <laughs> yes we are and I still can't buy tickets yet isn't that crazy I know it's crazy I, I, I I'm trying to understand this but I'm, I'm I've heard a rumor rumor is Wednesday so I'll be watching yeah and I think the 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 date I saw was uh, this upcoming Friday okay so well but either way it's it's just a you know I mean it's if it's Friday it's less than a week before it premieres which is weird it's real this weird just, this is odd and I'm, I'm kind of with people now who are going this movie the strategy for this movie is something that I'm not I'm not aware of so we'll have to see how it goes yeah and I and that's the thing with it too Scott like okay if if the studio thought the movie was going to underwhelm and be bad wouldn't they want to try to convince people to buy tickets early you would think I would think but if the movie was you know expected to be like hey this thing is going to have mass appeal it's going to hit all the demographics we're going after wouldn't you want to sell tickets early it just seems to me it seems to me no matter what you just would want to try to get those people to commit to those tickets as early as possible you would think but <laughs> so, I have I have I have no idea I don't understand I it. just want to buy I just want to be able to buy my tickets yeah I don't understand it this is strange like I, I'm going to be real curious to see you know uh, first of all we're presumably going to be getting some um, some reactions of people that have seen the film there the embargo officially is going to release according to someone named Kristen Acuna and I can't remember what publication she's with but she had said that in less than a week she's going to be seeing Birds of Prey and can tell you her first thoughts and then she later answered a question from somebody and she said that it was going to be on February 5th okay which is two days before the film opens two days before the film opens <laughs> so this is if we're getting some of the little scant bits of unconfirmed information at this point we may get tickets to go on sale this cup upcoming Wednesday and then may get first reactions a week or less than a week after that. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's very peculiar. Very peculiar. Yeah. Okay. Well, we shall see. And now, uh, saw the artwork for the uh, score by Daniel Pemberton, which I'll be interested to know what that sounds like because most of the focus so far has been on the soundtrack right. and not on the score. Did you see all of these, uh, what, I guess it's for the premiere, but, you know, what they're calling Hollywood that's going on over in, in, over in Hollywood and High yeah, I did see that. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. They had kind of transformed that that uh, I don't know that little plaza, that little square, and uh, they were using some of the elements from the film itself. Uh, so the the thing we pointed out a couple times that tunnel with those lights uh, with those little circular rings that was recreated uh, as part of this thing. And then they did this thing, which was really cool, up on top of this, and I don't know the proper term for it, but it's basically like a, a gateway entrance into the plaza. Um, they put Hollywood up on top of it, but then they were projecting scenes from the film just kind of like a little promo teaser things uh, right on top of the face show that and that was that was pretty fun you know they had spotlights they had the smoke they were shooting fireworks up in the air uh, they had the cast there with Kathy Ann and I th- and I think Christina Hodson was there I wasn't entirely sure if that was her but anyway it seemed like you had you know everybody there as, as kind of like a little mini celebration premiere which was pretty cool and apparently they're going to be taking it over to Mexico next yes and then we got some new images from Entertainment Weekly I particularly like this new Black Canary 
Harry photo we got. Yeah, that one's really good. That one's really awesome. The other ones are, I just feel like we've already seen before. Yeah, yeah. The Black Canary one, uh, she's got, uh, it's kind of like a fishnet. Well, she actually, she does have fishnets on, but it, it's the one that, you know, is, is obviously kind of toying with the idea that, you know, in the comics, she's got fishnets. Well, it, she's performing on stage, uh, presumably here at the Black Mass Club. And uh, it's, again, it's just great aesthetics. And by the way, Scott, I don't know if you've seen it, but you can find um, Dead Pigs now. It's actually on YouTube. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll send you the link to that. But it's, um, I watched part of it. And, you know, I've seen parts of it in the past, but I actually watched a good chunk of it just off and on uh, one of these nights. And and it's just amazing. Everything, you know, we had talked about before, The just Kathy Ann's sense for color and, um, you know, the cinematic texture of what the, the shot's going to look like in a scene and the decorations and the set design. It, it's just really stunning. And you're definitely seeing that again uh, in these images we've seen from with Birds of Prey. So it, it's a, uh, I, I am probably more excited about this film just visually than anything. Yeah. Well, Margot Robbie was being interviewed by Entertainment Weekly and said that, quote, there's more women in front of and behind the camera than any movie I'd worked on, which is pretty incredible. It was partly a conscious decision, but it also always felt like the organic right choice to make. And then Kathy Yan said that uh, it's this film is going to subvert expectations by creating, quote, a more grounded tactile quality to her movie in response to other films in the genre that can get very slick. She says, Harley's never just saving the world for no reason. Uh, well, that was Christina Hotson, who then went on to say there's always something complicated and messy and sticky and character-driven behind it. Uh, Hotson went on to say that, you know, the the what she called the most universal of emotions, the breakup, is kind of at the crux of this movie. And she said, quote, I think all of us in relationships sometimes mute certain pieces of ourselves and referring to Harley in post-breakup. It's Harley Quinn in her full glory. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, you know, we've heard about that before. I mean, that was certainly the motivation to not have Joker in this film. And, you know, as Margot Robbie has said before, if you're going to do this, if you're going to have Joker in, it's it's got to be 100% Harley and Joker or no Joker at all. Because just having part of Joker in this thing is, is kind of really taken away. And it's 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 something that essentially is going to hold back who Harley Quinn really is if, uh, if you have, you know, Joker kind of lurking around in the film. So it, I think this is going to be real interesting to see this. Like, you know, it seems like they're 100% dedicated to really showing an unrestrained Harley Quinn in this. What did you think of the IMAX poster, by the way, Scott? Not, not, not digging it. No, not it's not it. a great one, is it? I mean, it's I, not. I, I like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the... I like the poster in general, but to me, it's like, it's nothing special. It's just a Photoshop job. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's just nothing like, I, I usually like the IMAX ones are, you know, there's something extra special about them. And I always kind of think back to the Batman v Superman ones. I mean, those were, those are my favorite. Like I, th- that, uh, the unique posters they had for that, I thought were fantastic. And, and this one is just like, yeah, this looks like any other movie poster. So it doesn't make me want to go see it in IMAX. <laughs> well, and I mean, but Joker, the Joker IMAX poster was, anything special either i remember that one being kind of like wow all these posters and this is the one you pick as the imax poster yeah you're right yeah that one wasn't that great either yeah so uh, this is one i just threw in the notes uh, this was 
some recent comments kind of further talking about the reasons they went and wanted to do an R rating for this film. And I thought there were a few notable things in here, so I want to highlight it. This was in Variety. Margot Robbie said that Harley's not really someone to hold back. Uh, the R rating really allowed us to take it to the next level with fight scenes, which I th- <laughs> I think um, we get a little bit of taste of, but I think we have no idea just how <laughs> brutal some of this these fight scenes are going to get. So it, it sounds like, you know, that was one of the things that they certainly didn't want to be restrained there. Director Kathy Ann said, the women are unabashedly themselves and very unapologetic in the movie. It was very liberating to have the jokes that we wanted to and to show the characters for who they are. So again, kind of adding to why the R rating was important. They didn't want to hold back on any of those jokes. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Huntress, uh, echoed Kathy's comments. She said, I think it's very true to who Harley is. She's the one telling the story, so we see it through her eyes, and her eyes are quite poppy and creative and unlike anything else. I think it's totally uninhibited in every way. That's what it felt like shooting it. We got to do whatever we wanted. We got to improv. We're throwing around curse words. (laughs) So it sounds like, again, they didn't want any of those constraints. And then lastly, uh, this is one of the things that I, that kind of struck me the most. This is a quote from Kathy Ann. She was responding to whether or not the dialogue or violence in the film ever uh, was in danger of veering too far into bad taste. And Kathy Ann laughed at that suggestion. She says, no, that is not this movie. Restraint was really not in the DNA of this one. So I I like hearing that. I don't want to hear restraint. (laughs) (laughs) I want this thing to be completely unrestrained. So I'm, I like this quote the most. Restraint is not really in the DNA of this one. That's exactly the kind of stuff I want to hear. Absolutely. Well, then moving on to the Batman news, uh, Zoe Kravitz was having an interview about her upcoming role as Catwoman. And in Variety, she was quoted as saying, I think Catwoman, Selena Kyle, represents really strong femininity, and I'm excited to dive into that. I think femininity represents power, and I think it's a different kind of power than masculine power. That's something that's really interesting about Batman and Catwoman. I think Batman represents a very kind of masculine power, and Catwoman represents a very feminine power. Slightly more complicated and softer, too. I like the idea that you can be soft, you can be gentle, and still be very powerful, and still be very dangerous. She went on to say that she thought Catwoman was a very iconic character. She said she was never into a lot of comic books, but that world was always intriguing to her. And then, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer. Her performance has always been super inspiring to me. It just felt iconic, <laughs> which you are not alone, Zoe, at all. Yeah. I can't remember if we've talked about this before. Did you like Michelle Pfeiffer's interpretation? I It fit the movie she was in. Okay. That's how I would describe it, too. I, I'm a huge fan, actually, of Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm just a huge fan of Anne Hathaway in general, but I, I really dug her Selena Kyle in that movie yeah so yeah I mean I think the thing with Michelle Pfeiffer she kind of dressed the so-called Catwoman part you know I think better but I agree I think the way Hathaway played Selena Kyle was phenomenal so um, it'll be it'll be really neat to kind of see what they do here I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get a lot more of the Catwoman side or if we're going to get some of the Selena Kyle side I don't know yeah well speaking of the villains Colin Farrell was on Ellen and <laughs> bring it the fact that that photo we saw with him with white hair Nope, that is not that is not a penguin look. That is not <laughs> no. a penguin look at all. No. Uh, he went on to say that uh, basically after he, every time he finishes a role, which is probably after he finished up uh, the gentle the the new Guy Ritchie movie, The Gentleman, which I saw last night by the way, really good movie. Enjoyed him. Enjoyed him in it. 
And uh, so the white hair was just what he did, where he kind of bleached out his hair before starting the next role. So he hasn't even started filming Penguin yet for the Batman. Yeah, and it sounds like he does this after every film. He always kind of bleaches his hair some kind of color. And in fact, this one started off as, I think he said like purple, and then he tried getting rid of the purple, and then it became like something else, and then he tried fixing that, and he became this like silvery uh, white color. (laughs) But yeah, apparently, you know, if you believe him, and I don't see any reason why you shouldn't, this was just purely what his hair was kind of going into this film. He's not filming it. In fact, I think this um, uh, this this image was not even taken over in London. He's in, he's not there yet. No, he's in California. Right, because he was he was on Ellen's show. Yeah, and and looking like Colin Farrell <laughs> without the white hair. Yeah, I, I, I saw some of the interview, so it's like nope, nope, nope. Yeah. So which was kind of interesting because we had seen those images that look like Colin Farrell uh, on the set uh, somewhere over uh, presumably where they were filming. Well, I can't, where was that they were filming? They're filming in Glasgow. It was in Glasgow. Is that was that where that? Image... Oh, was that, was that oh, the photos we saw were from London? It was from London. That's right. It was from London. Yeah. And we were like speculating: Is that Colin Farrell? It uh, it seems to be that it, it it might very well be his stunt double or like a stand-in. You know, just maybe for camera tests that kind of thing. So, um, but it was kind of amazing. It kind of looked like him. But this looking at Colin Farrell now, like uh, on that Ellen clip, it showed him jumping into you know into um, the like freezing water when he was uh, filming up north and uh he's not in great shape right now well but but he's probably not supposed to be well but that's i don't know i don't know was he you know was he kind of leading up to this role he could have very well been right you know i know because he was he was pretty skinny yeah he was pretty svelte in the gentleman was I'll he say okay. that well he's yes he's he's double fisting a couple <laughs> a couple coffees here with probably with lots of cream and lots of sugar would <laughs> be my guess well don't don't body shame him don't judge I'm him. i'm not i'm not body shaming him if he's getting ready for the role i mean he's got to put on the weight somehow right yeah so so uh, he also was on Kimmel and described Matt Reeves' script for the Batman as, quote, really beautiful, dark moving. It's just really gorgeous. Uh, then we got some images of Robert Pattinson on the cover of Forbes magazine. And uh, and then there's some actual shots on the inside, some additional shots. He's got seemingly shorter hair here than the times I've seen him recently being interviewed. But kind of a Bruce, a younger Bruce Wayne's look, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's he's wearing all black. He's got the black shirt, the black jacket. <laughs> he's, he's being Batman. <laughs> but he, he's kind of like, you know, I mean, at, at least at least facially, like I'm I'm definitely seeing it more, you know, now. And so uh, presumably, I mean, do you think he's going to dye his hair a little bit darker? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I really don't. So, I mean, I don't see why he can't just go with the hair he's got, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's lighter than what we traditionally see him. But I mean, like, it's not like that hasn't been done before, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, Val Kilmer, I think he was almost blonde. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. We got. Um, well, this is weird because we are getting some news from Shazam 2, but it's actually a video that's back from October. So it's like really delayed <laughs> in this information. But uh, while Zach Zachary Levi was at the Celebrity Preview Fan Fest in October, he made a comment of, what can you expect from Shazam 2 that I can divulge? Are there any red sniper dots on me right now? You can expect a lot of the same awesomeness that you got in the first one. I think one thing I could probably say that I don't think is any kind of spoiler, now that the Shazamly has been established. Now that that's kind of a thing now, I think we can expect a little bit more of that. I hope so. We've got our own little, like, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers team. That's pretty dope. <laughs> we just need a pink one. That could be in there. And then he, he, uh, he just laughs, saying, I can't tell you anything. I really can't. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's kind of like a, a, 
a very positive like story surrounding Zachary Le- Levi. Unfortunately, I turned on Twitter this week and jumped in. When was it? Like after we got done recording? I can't remember what it was, but I, I no, no, it was it it was the moment after we started after we finished recording. I went up and I saw the exact same thing on Twitter. Yeah, I, I jump on Twitter and all of a sudden I see everyone attacking Zachary Levi, and I'm like, I did a little digging and found out the reason people are attacking him. I'm like, okay, I'm done for the night. I'm just I I can't deal with this anymore i can't deal with this at this manufactured outrage i just can't yeah because he he basically didn't believe this that the snyder cut existed but of course these quotes are coming back from in october and and i think some people didn't like his tone but of course listen to the tone he has from what he was saying about shazam 2 and he's just kind of taking an entire general i i'm just i'm just make kind of having fun with all of this at the same time kind of deal yeah and that's that's what i loved about the the story that you covered first because I mean you listen to that tone that's exactly the tone he had in this uh, basically what people are getting bent out of shape over and again this this is an interview that was pre-recorded which was very conveniently dropped by comicbook.com comicbook now or comicbook now it's comicbook.com very con- conveniently dropped at a time when of course it's you know they they know exactly what they're doing oh yeah and Zachary Levi knows what they're doing too by the way he does but and and here's the thing they're completely trying to bait a reaction and of course people just take the bait and here's the deal he he was making these comments it was like an hour-long segment uh that he was having with fans answering tons and tons of questions uh, a fan jumped up and you know asked about the snyder cut you know do you support this and and this is where zachary was very much spouting what was pretty much the conventional wisdom from most of the people that don't follow to the degree that you know that we do and i'm gonna tell you zachary is not sitting there following every single detail <laughs> about the stuff like we are i mean he's got his own little world that you know that he's concerned in. he's not like in all these little details that we are on a weekly basis uh he says you know i know a whole bunch of people on twitter keep crying out for the the snyder cut he says it doesn't exist as far as i know it doesn't exist um so right there he he's given a caveat that that like it doesn't exist as far as he knows. Again, he's speaking very accurately here. Uh, and then he goes on, kind of talking, just kind of like uh, not hypothetically, but just kind of like talking about it in general about any kind of film. Well, he's also he's also kind of giving what I would call the company line too. Yeah, but I think he's also talking about any kind of film. Yeah, I mean he's talking about there's initial early drafts, early cuts that they'll show studios and stuff like that. But he says, but I'm I'm sure that's as far as that got because then he goes on to talk about. You know, the information that he understands, or at least what he knows, that uh, Zach had to leave, Joss was brought on, they did the rest of the movie, and then that was the cut. Right, which, once again, is like the official story from back in The Hollywood Reporter back in, like, May of 2017. So, once again, it's just kind of, that's always been Warner Brothers' company line. So, he was just, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know. No, he doesn't know. I mean, I mean his Shazam world is completely disconnected from pretty much everything from all the other films. I mean, obviously... Obviously, Sandberg had some references, probably that Zachary Levi probably wasn't even really all that aware of <laughs> that were in the film. I mean, you know, you have you just had these little vague references, but I mean, it's not it's other than like slight nods of the films, like it's not connected to the other films. So like he's not immersed in that world. Yeah. And then some people uh, responded to him saying, I think Colm Sanderson said, you're a good egg. Comic book now knows exactly what they're doing. Publishing old quotes before Zach confirmed to stoke flames, not cool can't wait for shazam 2 and zach's justice league thank you for your time zach relieve i respond it's all good the silver lining in all this is that they've now shown themselves to be less than tr- 
trustworthy and how they represent, quote, news, while I now get to decide which outlets I'll speak to or not when doing press. Let people show you who they are. It's very freeing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in all this, the thing that just drives me crazy about this whole incident is, again, it's a small minority of people that are just not taking Zack Snyder's words to heart. <laughs> I mean, Zack Snyder has, has said on multiple occasions, you know, uh, just, I mean, what was the most recent thing that he said around? He said, be kind to each be other. Be kind to each other. Yeah. And it's just like, you, you don't need to jump on everybody, guys. You really don't. It, it just, you know, honestly, it, it just, it ends up creating, in my opinion, more damage than good. Because it, there's really not much good that's going to come out of it, attacking somebody that is just really not involved in this thing. I, I just don't yeah. understand the benefit of it. And I just... Well, it, there is no benefit to there, it. There is no benefit. And I just, I get frustrated every time I see it because it's like, you just don't have to do that. You don't have to attack these people. Like, it's not helping. In no way, shape, or form does it help. It does not help. So, but what does help is Zack Snyder is publishing more images from his version of Justice League. And one of them was in color. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure that one out. <laughs> it's almost like, is, is this kind of like Wizard of Oz where it starts off in black and white and then it suddenly turns the color? Does that I, mean I we're entering know. a new phase? I don't know. I try, <laughs> I'm trying not to read anything into anything, but uh, I'm reading into it anyway. Yeah. But we did get pictures of uh, Ryan Choi, uh, who apparently has the title of Director of Nanotechnology at Star Labs. So that was awesome. And th- he went on to answer a lot of questions saying that nothing's nothing, quote, happens to Ryan Choi in the film. You know, there's no little accident, as one person asked. And Zach then went on to say that, you know, his big part would have come later, but he is strong in the film with a little small arc in a few scenes. And then the color picture we were teasing is a picture of Alfred in the Wayne Aerospace hangar, where the Flying Fox is supposed to be, because it's too big for the Batcave. <laughs> I love, love that little dig there. Yeah. And, of course, then someone went on to ask about whether, you know, what played over the opening credit sequence of the film, and Zack Snyder says, score. Okay, interesting. Which would make sense, because that's the way Man of Steel and BVS open. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I, I didn't have anything uh, against the song that was in the theatrical release. I actually rather like that song. No, I actually like the song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, that may not have been Zach's intention, you know, that song, but I mean, I, I think the song was a nice way to open it. Like, it actually felt very Watchmen-y to me, you know. It did, which, which was which is surprising considering it may not have been Zach's intent for that song to be used. You know, maybe that was a, a Joss Whedon decision. We have no idea. No, uh, for sure. No, we do. No, we do. Joss Whedon said it was his decision. It, he did say Skylar Gray was his decision. Yeah, two years ago. Okay, I couldn't remember that. Oh yeah, no, that was no that we've known that for a long time. Of course, I also there's also several shots in that opening title sequence that you I know are reshoots. Yeah. So and then uh, Zack Snyder published um, a little bit of news about how uh, the official Vero account is going to be showcasing fan created posters for Zack Snyder's Justice League to celebrate the amazing talents of the dedicated fans who have shown so much support and creativity over the years. Uh, and Zack says, I've been going through my office trying to find some cool pieces of memorabilia from the film to give away to the artist that best captures the spirit of the movie. I will post the object in the coming days. And I think the last thing I saw, I, I think it was up around over 300 posters I had seen submitted up to this point. Wow. Yeah, because I, I know that there's a, 
the Twitter account and the Vero account. Yeah. So now I've been I've been I can't scroll through my Vero without getting like a gajillion different entries for it. So <laughs> I know there's a ton right now. So that's fun. I, I uh, people putting these posts together are doing a fantastic job. I, I love seeing all the creativity. I, I wish I had time because I would love to try to do something. I wish I had the skill. I don't <laughs> even have the skill set to do that. Uh, I, I have I have enough skill to to at least not embarrass myself. But like I would love to try to do something like this. I just simply don't have the time. So I'm looking forward to seeing which ones he selects. My my best my best chance at any of this was interpreting the all the gods t-shirts. <laughs> that that was that was my skill set. <laughs> so that's where I jumped in. Oh, you did submit one? Yeah, I, Zach Snyder even responded to it. I had a back and forth with Zach about one of my interpretations of that t-shirt. Oh, they oh way back. I thought you meant for the poster this time around. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. My whole point is that with the with the poster it's like, no, this is this is nowhere in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh so if you guys have any kind of uh creativity to your you know to yourself and you want to enter this thing i mean go do it man you have a really good chance of you know reasonably good chance of maybe getting something here from zack snyder i know exactly now uh new i can't remember i think we did talk about well what's officially being called the great machine last week did we talk about this last week or is this something yeah i'm losing track of what happened but what's being reported as an exclusive from the hollywood reporter is that oscar isaac is now set to star and produce the great machine which is based on Brian K. Vaughn's comic book Ex Machina, which of course they have to retitle because Oscar Isaac has already been in a movie called Ex Machina. (laughs) That's what's so funny about this whole deal. I mean, so we're talking about what what film? That was like 2014 that came out? Something like that. Yeah, it's the same director as Annihilation. Yeah, because it's got Alicia Vikander. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good film. Uh, Well, anyway, it was I remember when I first heard about the film coming out, like, I I knew nothing about it, but when I heard there was going to be a film uh, called Ex Machina, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's going to somehow be, you know, related to the Brian K. Vaughn thing and it, it wasn't uh, but it was still a great film regardless and that was the first time I'd actually ever seen actually ever seen Oscar Isaac see for me it was Sucker Punch oh yeah I forgot he was in that yeah he's the creepy he's a creepy guy with the money yeah yes yeah he's the slimy janitor orderly guy who is like the pimp in yeah. the fantasy world yeah I always forget that's him always so uh, yeah. but anyway but that at least like uh, a more recent version that was like the time I kind of remember him not like playing some really weird character <laughs> so but that was uh that was like a really good film and then and then like hearing the news about this and then when I saw I was like he, that Oscar Isaac wasn't going to be in I'm like well of course I mean there's going to be all kinds of parallels made <laughs> even though they're not connected yeah he's going to play the character of Mitchell 100 yeah. who is a former superhero who becomes the mayor of New York City after 9-11 100 had the power to talk to mechanical devices um so but the comic book focused a lot on government and political leadership. Yeah. So I think I mentioned this. I mean, I, I read uh, much of the series when it came out. I, I never f- finished it all the way to the 50th issue because I think I stopped collecting print editions at the time. But uh, I, I remember I probably read about the first 20 issues. So it was really, really good that it, from what I remember. And, and yeah, that's definitely not um, it wasn't as much about the superheroics, but there's just a lot of like political stuff in there. In fact, I remember um, uh, one of the, the, the big kickers from the first issue. It, it completely touches on 9-11, which happened in 2001, where the two Twin Towers in New York fell. Well, in the comics, he was able to save one of them. But his oh. his, failure, his failure was that he didn't save the second tower. Okay. Yeah, so that's Whoa. that That kind of sets the tone for the whole series. So uh, it's it's a really good series. I don't know if it's on DC Universe or not. No, it's not. Because it's not, there's okay. not a lot of Vertigo stuff on DC Universe, right? Well, it's not Vertigo. It was Wildstorm. It was Wildstorm. Okay, yeah. well, I, I would say that's even, it's even further removed. You think so? so okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm checking right now. Yeah. Well, Legendary is going to be producing this, which, you know, they've been doing the Godzilla films and they've got that, they've got the Denis Villeneuve um, Dune coming out in November. So go, go Legendary. Yeah. Uh, and I have confirmed it is unfortunately not on DC Universe. I told you. Yeah. So. But it, if, if you get a chance, go, you know, pick it up, go to your library, see if you can pick it up there. Cool. Well, I thought this was kind of interesting when I heard this news that Bad Robot is developing film and TV projects based around Justice League Dark. Uh, this is from Deadline, reporting that the deal is very nascent, and at this point in time, there aren't any specific details, specific projects, or characters that are being specifically developed out of the franchise. Uh, Bad Robot's head of motion pictures, Hannah Mangella, and head of television, Ben Stevenson, will be taking meetings with talent reps and writing clients on which characters will get their own projects. Hmm. So this is early. It's not specific about whether J.J. Abrams will be involved in any of this. It just sounds like this is where they want it. Where now that Bad Robots got that deal with Warner Media, it's like this is just kind of where they want to start mining. Yeah. So so you, you you see kind of what's happening here with DC properties. The little corners of the universe are being carved up aren't they yeah so i i think it seems like this was this is going to be the little playground for bad robot and really it could be any of these characters and i mean you mentioned uh i mean like if you if you want to just go with the original just league dark team which was john constantine madam xanadu dead man zatanna yeah shade the changing man and zatanna but it also like dipped into other characters like black orchid later on i think we had a vampire there's dr mist uh pandora was part of it uh nightmare yes, she was. yeah so like mm-hmm. so it kind of gives you this idea that you know this is going to be their little playground that they're going to get to play in just like you get the sense that like uh shazam and black adam kind of have their little portion of the universe and possibly the jsa characters being pulled into that and then at the same time you see margot robbie and her production company kind of taking the uh, harley quinn character and the birds of prey characters kind of like in their own little corner it's it's kind of interesting so like you're not going to get you're not going to get this big uh, all connected universe like i think some people would have wanted I think this is still kind of following along the lines of like, you know, they're all going to be in the same universe and there will be nods to each of them, but they're not going to be like part of one grand story. And it seems like that's really kind of coming to fruition here, isn't it? Yeah, well, which I'm, I'm okay with. I've always said I'd never wanted a giant overarching story that tied all the movies together. I just want them to exist in the same sandbox. Yeah. That's fine by me. That's that's fine by me too. I, I just want to, I want the creatives that are behind these properties, whatever they're going to be bringing to the big screen, I want them to have the most control. And I mean, this is certainly a business model of how to handle these IPs where it, it kind of gives them the most control. So, yeah. Well, Henry Cavill's obviously rooting for the Chiefs in next <laughs> week's Super Bowl, which was kind of funny because I was in a restaurant today having lunch with my wife and was like, oh, the Super Bowl's next week. Oh, it's the 49ers and the Chiefs. Okay. <laughs> and moved on with my life. Since <laughs> NFL is not my, it's, it's not my, not my playground. So I was just kind of like, oh, okay. But I remember, I mean, this is not the first time that Henry Cavill has referenced the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously with the whole Smallville reference being in Kansas. So I it's kind of funny how he puts on that Chiefs hat and he's talking about how he had to pick a team and he picked Kansas City Chiefs. It's like, yeah, well, this isn't the first time you've done that since 2013. So Yeah. Well, I liked his rationale about it too. And he says, you know, he could have picked any team. And he says uh, he, he just wanted to pick something. The way he described it, he goes, he didn't want to pick a team that was also the team of like, say, his partner. Talking about a relationship he might be in because, you know, what if you fall out? You know, you can't root for the same team, which is kind of 
of funny. But but his rationale was like, you know, Superman's from Kansas, so that's why I'm going to pick the pick the Chiefs. And then he said his second choice was the Steelers for obvious reasons. <laughs> so uh, I think he was also like, well, I mean, if you go back to Man of Steel, he was wearing a Royals T-shirt, right? For, yes, for baseball. He, and yes, I think he he's actually worn that outside of the film. I can't remember if he was at a game or not. I've certainly seen him at football games. But yeah, I mean, he picked a good team to <laughs> to to root for, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. I would no. I haven't watched any <laughs> NFL. You're asking me questions. I have no response to. <laughs> they made it to the Super Bowl. That's a that's a pretty good team to uh, to go ahead and choose. Uh, know, Brent's happy, I'm sure. <laughs> Brent's happy. And I can't remember where. So, what is your closest pro team? Uh, Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which yeah, which you know, I have at least some connection to because Julio Jones is a <laughs> is a receiver for them, and right. he 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 came from my he came from my team. So woohoo! Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. Um. So. We're getting more information about Suicide Squad. Um, you know, some David Ayer and some of the people that worked on the production of the film are starting to reveal more information. There were these little mock-ups that came out for some of the the creatures that were surrounding Enchantress from Suicide Squad. So somebody had asked David Ayer, are these the original Enchantress thug prototypes from your original cut. He responded, he says, well, no, this is a mock-up parademon head that was 3D printed. And he went on to say that he actually shot this particular image with his Nikon camera. But they really do look like parademons. They do really do look like parademons. <laughs> oh. So, oh, man. That, that would have been really cool. That would have that been really made cool. so much more sense. It would have fit in better. Oh, just two films that were so disrupted. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Well, talking about a movie that was not disrupted, uh, we got a little bit of talk from uh, Joker, you know, going in. You know, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, his SAG Award acceptance speech was incredible. Please tell me you've watched it. Oh, of course. I've watched it like three times. It's it's a oh, fantastic speech. It's a fantastic speech. It's, it's one of the better. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time. And, of course, they're all actors. So that no matter what they're feeling, they can act it out. <laughs> but this one, this one was just a great one. Like, I... I love this the fact that he spent probably 90% of his time talking about the other actors nominated. Just praising praising all the other actors that didn't win. Yes. And, and obviously and, and making it very clear in the way he talks that he's seen the movies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So very classy. Very classy. And and then a great shout out to Heath Ledger at the end. Yeah, for so, sure. But uh, just a little tidbit that that you included here is that 16 out of the 17 actors who have won the SAG award have later gone on to win the Oscar. Yeah. Or a or an Oscar. Now I what I didn't know about that stat, because I picked up that stat from somebody online. I, I didn't know if it meant that year. That year. Yeah. Well you would th- yeah, you know, statistics can lie, but you would you would think that to make the statistics significant, it would need to be the same year they won the SAG would be the same year they won the Oscar. Yeah. So don't know. But I mean either way, I mean it, and Scott and I already said, you know, we, we think we, we think this is his, you know. We think this is probably the surest Oscar that Joker's <laughs> going to get. <laughs> that and Hilder's... That and score. Hilder's uh, score, we think, are the, yes. the, the two that are, are probably the clinch. best bets. We think they're clinch. The rest of them, <laughs> we have no idea. No idea. No. And and so, so when, go back to last week's episode if you want to hear us break down our, our own personal Oscar predictions. Yeah, yeah. So We, we kind of summarized the, the, the two key ones there, though, in terms of the ones that we think are, you know, Joker's going to get. There you go. Well, I did watch this interview with uh, Cooper Anders- Anderson, Cooper Anderson, Anderson <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> See, 
how much I watch the news. Well, at least you didn't say Cooper Andrews. That's true. Yeah. Anderson Cooper uh, interviewing Joaquin Phoenix on 60 Minutes. It was a nice little 13-minute interview. So, uh, it was really, the most Joker-related thing was them talking about the, the bathroom dance. Okay. Did he add anything new? Uh, just that he... It was interesting because all the script said was that he would run into the bathroom to get rid of the gun. And that was completely improv Right. And that it was supposed to be a... It was supposed to be a metamorphosis. That was how Joaquin described it. And it was also interesting, too, about he talked about how he doesn't like rehearsals. Right. Uh, and that... Because he's like, well, we can do multiple takes. So let's capture everything on camera in case we like something that we end up doing. Mm-hmm, for sure. Which is such a film actor thing versus a stage actor thing. So <laughs> right. Just, but I get it. I completely get it. So... Yeah. We, and they even showed the, the scene of him uh, getting into the refrigerator. Yeah. Obviously implying that that was improv as well. Right, right. Which we know it is, but we do, you know, yeah. Ugh. They didn't flat out say it in the interview. Yeah, my two favorite scenes from that film, so. And then there was a uh, interview with uh, the editor, Groth, who's being interviewed on Collider, and he's, he's talking about that Bradley Cooper, who was a producer on Joker, actually helped in the editing room. He said, we kept this one pretty close to us. We screened it more personally for people and filmmakers. Bradley Cooper definitely came in a couple of times. He was a producer on the movie, but he definitely watched the movie many times and sat with us. We could call him if we got stuck with something and be like, hey, can you come over and take a look at things? Nice. Uh, He went on to talk about that Cooper's knack for details. He says, quote, he doesn't miss a thing. He would watch stuff and he would pick out even some of the smallest things. And what are some of the things that he can that he can be picked out for us to address? He was definitely a huge help. I think he got a lot more experience in editing than most people would realize. Hmm. And apparently even Joaquin Phoenix was in the editing bay and the Groth went on to say I think probably he was in the edit room more than any other actor I've worked with what was interesting to have him come in is that he would always be looking to get the feeling from what was on screen to mimic the feeling that he had on the day he shot it it was a really interesting perspective to have in the room of course you're putting together what you're putting together but then to have someone saying like I live that moment here's what I'm feeling it's another interesting perspective so kudos to Todd for having him come in Hmm, that's kind of cool I've never really heard of an actor ever really be involved in that part of it no that's that's really cool though i mean he makes a really good point there like i mean i mean that's his motivation for wanting to be there is he just really i mean he's so concerned with like how he was feeling at that moment what he was trying to portray with his character and what he's hoping to show up on the screen like i i give him a ton of props just like saying hey man you gotta you gotta make sure you're picking you know the angles the cuts the you know whatever it is that that really pulls that forward so that's that's pretty cool now i love this little bit that you pulled off of the dc cinematic Reddit uh, about because I have not had a chance to listen to Ty Phelps commentary yet on Joker. Yeah, and this was uh, this is credit to Heaven or Heck on DC Cinematic, and and I was just kind of like scanning through, and I saw it. I'm like, you know, I'm going to pull this because I I haven't seen this as either. But it was Todd Phillips commentary. He was talking about you know where did Arthur Fleck's name come from, and so again, this was in that iTunes exclusive commentary, and in his dialogue, he said Arthur was chosen for its regal connotations, as in King Arthur. Arthur harbors some delusions of grandeur, and he may or may not be the son of Thomas Wayne, who is Gotham royalty. The King Arthur of legend also spawns from a murky lineage. And then he said Fleck was chosen for its lack of significance, as in a fleck of dust. In many ways, Arthur is a nobody. He lives out a meager existence, and he is particularly invisible to those around him. Combine them, and you have Arthur Fleck, a king of nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, that's cool i, I, love I like that. it i love it because you know the, the whole thing is because obviously he had like a, a tie to king of comedy right you know right exactly film. and then yes. this one is king of nothing so um he said that's a pretty fitting and chilling epithet for the version of the joker for his version of joker whose comedy of terrors makes him the unlikely champion and face of gotham's civil unrest all right yeah okay uh chris sylvia went on to tell us that uh warner brothers dc cinema con presentation is going to be on tuesday march 31st mm. so so we're expecting big things at that one yes we are uh batman news is reporting that rosario dawson is going to be in the is signed on to play a lead role in, in the upcoming dmz series coming to hbo max now i am not familiar with i've heard of dmz but i am not familiar with it i haven't read it and it's published by vertigo but it's set in the near future after the united states has fallen into a civil war and the, the island of manhattan is a demilitarized zone between the two sides and becomes isolated from the rest of the world so rosario dawson is signed on to play alma who's a medic who saves lives throughout the dmz while searching for her son and then uh, and then of course and all the people she's going to encounter along the way yeah uh, according to this report hbo max has only given it a pilot order right now so it has not been picked up for series yet yeah so uh, again hbo max looking for original content and uh they're digging into this catalog it looks like from you know the dc side of things well tim i think that looks like that's it for this week's podcast (laughs) i think so it's just another one of those light weeks you know it's always this way when we're leading up to an actual film's release even though normally we would have tickets by now (laughs) yes we would yeah no and this actually worked out again because of our uh weird schedule this weekend so yeah it's been a lot of fun we'd love to hear from you guys please reach out to us you can contact us on twitter at dc film squadcast or you can find me individually at alan fire and you can find me at scott dc 27 on twitter you can also email the show at dcfilmsquadcast at gmail.com we can also be found on vero facebook and at our website squadcastmedia.com and don't forget about our patreon at patreon.com squadcastmedia all right well that's it for this week hope all you guys had a lot of fun thanks and we want to encourage you to go out keep reading some dc bye guys Tim, this is getting to me. Where are my damn tickets? <laughs> Seriously, I need to make sure I've got my IMAX seat. You know, I've got my seat. I, I have to get it for Thursday night so we can re- so we can record our review on Friday. It's like, come on, give it to me. Give it to me now. <laughs> you always want everything now, don't you? No, not always. Not always. But when a movie comes out in two weeks, I do kind of expect to have tickets. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know what the strategy is here. I really don't. I, I don't know what's going on. But you know what? Looking at everything we could have possibly blown up this week, this seemed like a no-brainer. Warner Brothers, give us the damn tickets. Like, seriously, why are you not giving us the tickets? We want to buy tickets. Warner Brothers, please just take our money. Or you can take this.